Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Paid in Full Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Rausch, and this is episode number 18. Let's do it. Um, so thank you guys for uh, everyone who's been donating to the Black Independent Artist and Musician Fundraiser we have going on right now. We keep on racking in more money every week, and it's just immensely appreciated. If you haven't donated yet, please go to the website paidinfullpodcast.com and you could just donate directly through the site. Uh, you could also just tap into my uh, Instagram profile, hit the link in the bio, and uh, it'll take you right to the site as well if that's where uh, you want to link up. Also, for everybody that's been doing the one-on-one coaching with me on the weekends, it's just been growing so great. I've loved every minute of it and talking to you guys. So if you haven't done that yet and you want to sit down, chat about the music business, chat about your own personal career, and just get some answers to any questions, things that I could help you with, I'm totally down. I really love doing this. So you can also schedule that time with me through the website at, again, paidinfullpodcast.com or click through uh, my Instagram profile. The link is there. You could just tap into one-on-one coaching, check in, link up, let's chat, and I'll see you guys on the weekends when we do that. So um, yeah, it's a a really, really great time. Now in getting into today's episode, it's a, a topic that I get all the time and artists always ask me about record deals and when to do them, uh, and what they really mean. So I wanted to dedicate this episode to talking really about the terms of a traditional record deal. There's five main terms that I really like to focus on. Record deals can be literally hundreds of pages, and uh, they're filled with just a massive amount of provisions and a lot that goes into them. So if I did an episode on everything about a record contract, then uh, it would take probably uh, many, many more hours than I have uh, in a single day. But today, I want to really tap into some of the real main terms because when I get asked um, by many artists, should I do a record deal? When's the right time to do a record deal? And what is in a record deal? I think this is a great place to start is kind of understanding the dynamics of a record deal because if you understand that, and uh, really, you know, what goes into it, you're going to make the right decision for your career. Look, I've never been a person that says strictly like, own your masters, be independent, don't do record deals. I've never said that. I encourage everyone to explore every option for your career um, that that's going to be right for you. Just make the best choice in doing that. Why record deals have gotten such bad reputations is because so many artists don't know what they're signing. They rely on their lawyers or their business managers or their managers to handle that process and they just come in, they look at the advance, they see what they're getting, they sign on the dotted line and that's about it. And then later down the line, they realize they didn't enter into a favorable deal and they start learning about what they actually signed. So record deals can be really helpful for your career. I just want to say that. Um, I know we're in an age of rapid independence and there's so many options for independent writers and and artists, particularly artists, who want to build a career independently, own your masters. And I love that. I support that. As always, you know, a lot of the people I talk to are independent artists. But that doesn't mean you don't have to not explore record deals. That doesn't mean record deals are bad. Record deals can be great for you. A lot of people obviously do them who've had great deals, great careers, and has really done a lot um, for them as an artist. So my thing is explore everything. Just know what you're getting into. You don't always have to sign things that you that you uh, are unsure of. 
So before you sign anything, know exactly what you're signing. That's what we need to do. We need to educate ourselves. You can't always rely on your lawyer. You can't always rely on your team. The best thing you can do is create as much accountability for yourself, educate yourself as much as you possibly can so you know what's actually right for your career. You can have better conversations with your team and um, it's just going to make everything so much uh, so much stronger. So today, like I said, we're going to get into five uh, main provisions of a record contract that I think really you need to know at a base level. I'm not going to dive super deep into it, but we're just going to do kind of an overview of what they mean so uh, you can get a better sense and because uh, these come up in every single type of contract and um, they're, they're just key provisions, all right? So bear with me. I have a little notes here because there is some stuff that I'm going to get pretty nerdy about and uh, a little bit granular, so I got to make sure I'm staying on track here. All right, so let's get right into it. The first thing that we're going to talk about is the term. This, again, it will be probably one of the first things that pop up in your record deal, and it refers to how long the contract is, how long the deal lasts, and it also outlines some of your commitments too. Now, a term, uh, this length of time can be based on a couple really key factors, uh, depending what kind of deal you're doing. One, it could be based on your delivery, so your recording delivery, how many songs, and uh, what actually constitutes as a delivery. So examples of this can be uh, the number of songs, like an album's worth. It can also be based on timing. Sometimes they say you need to provide us with, you know, 30 or 35 minutes worth of music to constitute an album. Uh, It can be on, you know, maybe EPs. Uh, So it could be maybe two EPs and an album or one EP, or maybe it's based on singles. Um, There's different ways that these things can be structured, but you're uh, basically for you, it's what you have to deliver in terms of your recording. And that also means it has to be a qualified delivery. So the record label actually has to approve it. So you can't just go and record 10 quick songs and send it to them. Uh, They actually have to approve them and they have to meet the requirements of what a delivery is. Now, the other thing, the other element that a term can be based on is the commercial release. So you can go ahead and uh, deliver your songs to the label but the term actually is based on if the label releases it and what that actually means and that date. So just because you deliver them songs doesn't mean they're always going to release them. And the time that they're going to release them also depends, you know, how long after you, you know, send them the songs, are they actually going to release those songs or are they going to shelve the album completely? So those are the two things to start to focus on um, just on a general sense. And again, just to preface this, this is all basic, uh, basically just very general speaking here. So if you quote me on anything, just know there's thousands of ways to negotiate record deals. There's so many different uh, things to think about. So this is, again, just generally speaking on some of the, the key terms. So first is that recording delivery. And the second is the commercial release. So you have to look and see which is your uh, deal referring to because that's going to dictate your term. Now, usually in this, the term will be, for example, um, it'll be based on what they call contract periods. So that's kind of like how they sum it up. And the term language will go something along the lines of this. Um, first, let's talk about you know the uh, recording delivery. Let's let's make it based on that. So first, you have to, thing you have to know it'll be usually the later of, and they give you a couple choices. 
So it'll say something like this. It'll commence on the date today and it will be the later of, it will extend for the later of 12 months from today, basically the, the date that you execute it. So one year from today or nine months after you deliver the recordings and whatever comes later. So if you, uh, let's play around with that. If you sign the, the deal today, you get into your record deal and let's say you go into the studio, you have your 10 tracks ready within one month. You just hammer it out. You deliver them. They're all qualified. The record label accepts them as delivered recordings. So your term basically said, all right, 12 months from the day you, you signed it or the later of nine months after you deliver. So if you only spend one month and you deliver the recordings, which one's greater? So nine months after that means you only did a 10-month contract. So they're going to go extend it to the 12 months, the first option. All right. I hope that made some sense. If not, DM me and I'll walk you through it. But that's the first thing you have to think about. They always do the later of. So minimum, no matter what, you're in a one-year deal because that's what they said, 12 months from the date that you execute. Now, let's play another uh, around in another way. Let's say you sign the agreement and you take nine months to deliver them the recordings. Say it just took you a really long time to be in the studio. You know, we're dealing with COVID, so maybe that extended your time and uh, you're trying to hammer out these recordings. Maybe you delivered some, but the record company didn't accept them. So you had to go back to the drawing board. You had to make new recordings and, and all this stuff. So say it just took you nine months to deliver 10 recordings, all right? Well, again, they said the later of. So the, it was either one year from the date that you signed it or nine months after you delivered your qualified recordings. So you're in a contract, you go nine months, you deliver them those recordings. Now it extends for another nine months because they said the later of nine months after you deliver or one year from the date that you start. Okay. That's where, that's what you have to pay attention to. So, um, that, that's a, a really kind of like, it can seem kind of complex and confusing, but that's really what you want to pay attention to. When does this term actually end? Sometimes people are like, oh, I got into a one-year deal. I'm like, yeah, you did. But that was just the first option that they that they kind of said. That was just the one part of it. It was one year or the later of nine months after you deliver and you took forever to deliver. So it extends well beyond that one year. All right. Just something to think about. Now, the same thing can happen with the commercially released option. So let's say you deliver your songs to the record label and you deliver them, you know, in a reasonable time, say it maybe takes you three months or six months to deliver your recordings. Well, what if they take another six months to commercially release them? So the language changes there. Let's say it's the later of one year from the date of execution or six months after the commercially released uh, date. And that's usually based on the US. So whenever they actually release your song in the US, your term will extend six months after that. So playing around with that option, say you get signed today, say within three months, you go ahead, you deliver them your, your recordings. And then let's say nine months later, they want to go finally release them because of whatever happened. Maybe they were just dealing with some other things and they just felt like 
your album needed to get pushed a little farther down the line and they waited to release them. Well, then you still have six months after that date of the release that you're tied to that contract for that initial contract period. So you really have to pay attention on these different gaps. And there's also things that you can do to protect yourself. For example, uh, there's language that uh, a lot of lawyers put in that can limit the date that they actually um, commercially release your album. So they're not just waiting forever. So if you deliver your songs to them in a reasonable time, sometimes they can have like 90 days or 120 days um, to actually commercially release it. So you can actually limit the amount of time for those uh, for the record labels to actually release your songs so they don't hold you hostage in your deal. Um, and then if they're if you're actually shelved, there's language for that too. If they actually never release, uh, release your album uh, commercially, there's language that protects you there so you're not you know stuck in the deal forever. But those are some ways, I know it's a little convoluting when you're thinking about this, but that's what you have to pay attention to. Is, it, is the term based on whether you deliver the recordings or is it based on when those recordings are actually released to the public? Two very, very different things, okay? First thing to think about. Now, let's talk a little bit about um, another kind of part of the term that can be in terms of options, right? Now, that means you basically give the record label the right to extend your contract periods. And those contract periods, like I just talked about, is really kind of uh, what your commitments are, what their commitments are, you know, is it based on delivery? Is it based on recording? Uh, you know, the, the commercially released, what is it based on? That could be one contract period. So let's say your contract period is based on 10 songs. They could have an option to do three contract periods. So that means they can do back to back to back um, another 10 songs and then another 10 songs and then another 10 songs. So an options is basically gives them the, the right to kind of renew your terms every time. So you may think you're in a one-year deal because that's what the initial contract period is, but they may have four options to extend it. That means they can, you know, once that, that first contract period is up, they can boom, extend the option for another one and another one and another one and another one. And that is up to them. It's not up to you. So they have the right to do that, okay? So when you do a deal and you have options, you're not the one that gets the power to extend the options. You may not like the label after that first contract period, but they still may want to extend your contracts and you got to deal with it because that's what options are all about. Um, it gives them the option to to extend it. And options can also be great things. You know, if you have a great relationship with the label, everything's going, the momentum is building, then yeah, let's let's go ahead and extend these options. And the other thing you need to know about options is that the label usually just has a very small window of time to actually extend that option after the term. So uh, definitely be careful and make sure you understand when they can extend that option because you may have a right to actually terminate the agreement at that time. But we'll get to that in a second. Uh, just know that they can't you know, extend an option whenever they want. They are bound usually by a restricted timeline. All right. Now, the next thing I want to get into, um, and look, there is a lot more we can talk about about term. I can go on all day about this stuff, but that's just kind of like giving you a general sense. But let's now move to the recording commitment and what that really means. So this can refer to uh, the amount 
that you actually have to deliver. So it can be 10 songs, it could be 12 songs, it could be multiple albums and EPs or singles or a combination of everything. It could be based on timing of songs. Um, there's so many different things that you have to think about in your recording uh, commitment that is required by the label. Now, um, and based on that, that also ties back into the term because just because you're recording songs or just because you're in a term for a certain amount of time, let's say the term lasts for 12 months, but you actually haven't met the amount that you have to deliver to them, then it doesn't matter. Say you only recorded one song in 12 months. Well, you're stuck there until you get all 10 songs recorded or all two EPs recorded. I mean, that's what what these things are. So it's not just bound by time. It's actually bound by uh, the commitment too. That's a huge, huge element. Um, And also when we're talking about this recording commitment, specifically about what you have to deliver, there's going to be restrictions on that. So you can't just go into the studio and record, you know, 10 one minute songs and say, hey, I met my commitment here. Um, You also can't, usually can't deliver live uh, recordings. Uh, You can't deliver stuff that you did with side artists. So say maybe you were featured on tracks uh, with other artists through their labels. That does not count usually as a recording uh, delivered to your label. Um, And, uh, you know, maybe you do a remix on a song that can often be excluded. So there's uh, maybe, you know, like a remix where maybe you do a verse on someone else's song and it's remixed into something else. So, uh, you know, sometimes covers are restricted as well. So there's different things that actually um, qualify for your commitment and it can be very specific. Sometimes it could even be based on style. Like if they sign you and you're a very specific genre based artist um, and you do something outside of that. I've seen honestly contracts where they limit that to the actual genre of music that uh, can actually be uh, qualified as a, as a delivery. So definitely want to make sure you understand what your recording commitment is. Um, That's a huge part. So, so you really grasp and see, okay, what are your obligations to the label? What do I have to deliver during this time that I'm here? All right, so we talked about the term and we talked a little bit about the recording commitment. Those are two main areas that you really want to focus on, these two very important provisions. But now let's get a better understanding of the rights. Now there's usually a section outlining the rights. Um, it's usually a very long section, but it's, it's this is where the meat is. And I need you to get a general understanding of this because um, this will tell you what rights the labels have. So, and it's all spelled out in there. So there's no surprises. You just have to read it to find out. So first thing about the rights is the ownership. When you do a traditional record deal, they have ownership. They will own your masters. That's, um, that's the whole point. This is why they're citing you. This is why they're giving you money. This is why they're supporting your career. They're going to own those masters. So there is that language right out the gate talking about ownership and, Um, When we define ownership in a record deal, it's usually defined as a work made for hire, meaning um, you're doing this work and they own it. You're basically hired kind of as an artist to do this work. It's a work made for hire. And if it's not deemed a work made for hire, often there's language in there that says, well, the rights are still transferred otherwise. So no matter what way you cut it, it's very often that the labels will own all of your masters in these traditional deals, all right? That's the first thing you need to look at. The second part that you need to look at is how long will they own your rights for? 
Now, usually it's forever. And <laughs> that's, uh, that's just the case. And you'll see often language, it's super standard language, but it goes something along the lines of, um, of this. It basically says they will have the exclusive right to obtain registration of copyright and all renewals and extensions in the masters, not the compositions of the publishing, but the masters solely in their names as the owners in perpetuity. Perpetuity means forever, guys. So they will own those masters forever. Um, that's that's really a, a key element there because uh, it just, you know, anything you do under that term, you are relinquishing that ownership. Now, is that a bad thing? Not always. Do you need to know about it? Yes. Are there ways to get your songs back? Sure. And we'll talk about those in just a moment. Now, also, what you need to know in the agreement is what are they owning and forever? <laughs> what what songs? Now, often they're the songs that are part of your uh, commitment. They can also be any unreleased songs. So sometimes that even though you deliver songs uh, to the label, you may record a ton other that maybe weren't qualified. The label does own those as well. Sometimes if it's based on your commercial release, so if the label, if your deal is based on the label's commercial release of your songs, say you actually record and deliver like 50 songs to them and they only actually actually release 10 or 12. Well, what do you do with all those other songs? The label still owns those as well because they were created and recorded under that term. So they own all of that stuff as well. Now, Often too, if you're a new artist, there's usually a, a provision here too for your prior recordings. Not always, but they will offer this. That um, and you know they'll increase the advance amount usually, but they'll get all your prior recordings and have them uh, own the rights to that. So often, you know, labels when they're pushing you as an artist and they're supporting so much of your current and future stuff. They also have an interest in your back catalog, especially if you're new and it hasn't gotten such a huge push because maybe they can leverage their efforts for that back catalog as well. Um, maybe re-release some of that song, some of those songs under them uh, as you know additional songs or uh, you know remix. They they have other things that they can do with your back catalog, so that can also be uh, part of the deal as well. So your prior songs, and there's always a provision there too. Now. Um, are there ways to get your rights back? Yeah, there's a few different things that you have to look at in the in the uh, rights paragraph. One, let's talk about those unreleased songs. So there there is an option usually for you to buy those back, but it's very restrictive language and you have to know exactly um, how long you have, like how long the window is for you to buy them back, uh, what the cost is going to be, you meeting all those obligations to actually pay it. So there's a lot of things you have to uh, look into if you want to try to, you know, say they uh, release those songs, but um, you have all this unreleased music and you actually want it back, you can do that, especially if you're terminating a deal. This can be in conjunction with that. So let's say, for example, that they, you know, you go through your initial contract period and they don't extend the option and you have a window to terminate. You can terminate the deal and you can say, I want to at least buy my unreleased recordings back. And there's uh, usually a provision for that. So you definitely have some options there. Um, another thing that can be in some of these agreements is reversion rights. Now they can say, look, we'll own these masters for this amount of time. Say it's like 15 years. 
and then you have the option for those rights to revert back to you. There are a couple things that you have to think in, in um, think about here. One is you can't be unrecouped, meaning if you give an advance and that advance is still outstanding, you still owe them money, then uh, you can't qualify until um, you know that money is paid back. So definitely want to be recouped. But often uh, I have seen reversion options there for you to get those copyrights back. It's not, it's actually not as common as you would think, but you can try to put language in there. Um, and I have seen enough, enough times in contracts where uh, they do have the right to do that because after a certain amount of time, some, I mean, 15, 20 years, way down the line, those copyrights, you know, um, can be valuable and they may even have a provision in there for you to purchase, say you are unrecouped, they can say, look, for you to, you know, get out of your deal or for you to, you know, buy the copyrights back, there can be payments in there that is, uh, you can pay off the rest of your advance plus probably some interest. Um, there are ways to to get your rights back. It's not necessarily like, like I said, the most common thing, but um, there are provisions in there to, to do that. So something to, to just consider when you're looking at the term and you're looking at the rights and the ownership and how it all kind of works together. So, and at the very least, these are all just questions you should bring it up when you do a record deal. All things you should talk about, the pros, the cons, you know, how important is it to you to have a reversion paragraph in there? Um, how valuable is the length of the term? All these different things are really, really key to, to understanding. Now, another area that's uh, going to be in the rights are because they um, are basically re- like restrictions and because they own so much. They own the masters, meaning they can, you know, reproduce, distribute, uh, do anything basically they want all, you you know, exploit it fully, exploit all your sound recordings fully at their pretty much leisure. Um, but that also includes like name and likeness and trademarks and things that associate with your artist and they have control over that. So often there's going to be restrictions. Like for example, uh, without your approval, they, will not use songs in like NC-17 or adult films or things with violence or brands, uh, you know, political stuff, brands that you may not want to be associated with, um, things like that. They may have restrictions about, you know, your live performances. Say you don't do a perform, say you do a performance that you just aren't happy with and uh, you don't want them to actually release that content. They may have to get your approval for that. Um, maybe there's, uh, you know, films or, or uses of your music that you don't want to be synced with, you, you'll have approval rights there too. So there is restrictions in these rights. And I suggest you always take a look at that because they own the sound recording and control your trademarks and, um, uh, and have the right to your name and likeness. There's just a lot of room for ex- exposure there and they can exploit that content in a lot of ways. So try to have some control to make sure that it's on brand with you, that you're on board with the ways they are using that music. That's a huge part of you and your value. So even though you are giving up that ownership, make sure you do have some mechanisms in the contract that protect it of how they're actually going to use that. So um, that can all happen in that rights paragraph. And then some other things that uh, are in that rights paragraph too is just kind of overall communication, you know, making sure the marketing plan is 
Um, you know, they, they run it by you. They share ideas. Things are, are on board that you guys have a harmonious relationship communicating and they're not really going to do anything just recklessly with your music. Um, market it in a way that you're not on board with and uh, make sure that everything is, uh, is, is happening on schedule and they're maintaining basically their commitment to you as well. So that's another area in the rights paragraph that you should always be um, looking out for is restrictions and making sure that the label is going to do right by what's important to you. All right. I know that's a lot. And that's just, a, there's so much more to, to cover here, uh, especially with that provision. Um, but those are just some of the key points to really think about when you're kind of thinking holistically about a record deal. Now, I want to get uh, into the fourth point and uh, provision of a record deal that I feel is just very important. And it's the royalties. Now, in a traditional record deal, I've talked about this on episodes in the past, but we're focusing on uh, basically artist percentage of royalties. So usually that can be, um, nowadays it's kind of between you know 10 and 20. I've seen it as high as like 25 for some really world-class artists. Um, I haven't really seen it below 10%, but I'll just use for today the example of, let's say your artist royalty is 15%. Well, what is that 15% of? A lot of contracts have what's called the SRLP, the Suggested Retail List Price. And this kind of came um, from the days of obviously like physical and uh, you know CDs and records and things like that. But basically, what is it selling for? So say an album sold for $10, uh, you get 15% of that. That's what your artist rate is based on. Um, if we're talking about the suggested retail list price, there are options where labels do what's called the wholesale price, which is kind of half the price of a, of a suggested retail list price, but they will adjust your um, artist rate accordingly. So, you know, if they cut, you know, the price in half, then your artist rate kind of doubles and they'll make that, that um, adjustment. So either way, depending on how they calculate it, it's still going to be that 15% of um that, that price. Now, uh, another one, because there's just so many different ways people are consuming music now with streaming and, um, just, you know, how, how music is consumed across the board. Uh, they'll also have something called an NRC, which is just normal retail channels. So, and that just means, look, however, this is kind of being sold, you'll get your artist percentage of in all these different ways. So that's, uh, you know, really for the digital and kind of streaming world, uh, we saw that language pop up. Now, when it comes to royalties, you also have to know that as your deal kind of progresses, say it goes through several different options or you sell a ton of stuff or your songs really blow up, you can actually have escalating royalty rates. So maybe it goes 15 to 16 to 17 to 18. It increases throughout the different option periods. Uh, the bigger you get, the more successful you get. So that's something you always want to make sure of that, hey, you guys, you know, we're all investing in this together. As time goes on, I expect to be a bigger artist. So I want a higher royalty rate as I become more established. Uh, that's definitely something you should always look for in an agreement. Now, um, something you should just be aware of when we talk about your artist rate, that 15% that you're getting, and again, this could be a variable percentage, but 
let's say we're talking about 15, there are going to be some deductions there. Uh, usually there's packaging deductions, there's free good deductions. Um, they hold on to reserves. So sometimes you'll see people have come to me, they're like, hey man, look at my royalty statement. How come there's so many negative line items? What are all, why are they taking money away from me? And I'm like, oh, those are reserves. And reserves basically means, you know, they ship out a ton of your music and some of it gets kicked back to them. So they want to make sure they're not overpaying you. So they'll kind of like reserve a royalty amount to make sure that, hey, we're sending out all these, all this music, but it might not all get sold and we don't want to pay you on all that just yet. So let's reserve this little amount. Now, all these things can kind of deduct your royalties. So it's just something to, you don't have to know so deeply. It's, you know, pretty standard across all contracts. There's nothing super astronomical. And if you have a good lawyer, they're going to knock this stuff down really, really easy. But you just need to know that these are things that can kind of deduct your artist royalty a little bit. So you're not getting that top 15% that it can be a little lower. Um, the important part of knowing that is like fight harder for your artist percentage. Every percentage counts. If they offer you a 14% deal, ask for 15, ask for 16, try, try to really work there because you know it's going to be reduced anyway. Um, also, just general things to kind, of, to kind of know about an artist royalty is that it also gets deducted throughout different territories and different markets. So, um, you know, in different countries, it might be 85% of your royalty rate or 75% of your royalty rate or even 60%. So it can get deducted based on different territories. Uh, it can also get deducted based on, you know, like midline or budget releases, things like that. So in these, you know, I'm a royalty nerd. So I love diving into this stuff. But what you guys really need to know is that it's not just, hey, I'm getting 15% of everything. There are going to be a lot of things in that contract that, that can bring it down. Um, so just, you know, know where, you know, know where it's coming from and know where you want to fight harder. Um, now with uh, the kind of anomaly here with royalties is when it comes to sync. So and I like to talk about this because syncs can be huge fees. So say you do a sync and they offer you $20,000 to have your song in a TV show or, uh, or a film or, or uh, you're probably going to get more for that. But let's just say in a TV show that they offer you $20,000, you're going to split that on the master side 50-50 with the label. If the label offers you anything less than that, it's not really that fair. I've It's always, always standard. 50%. So label gets 10,000, you get 10,000 on the master side. Um, if it's a $20,000 master side use. Um, so you'll split all sync fees uh, for the sound recording with the label 50, 50, just something to know there. So you're, it's not like you're getting 15% of, uh, of that sync. It's definitely, uh, definitely higher. And uh, that's good because these fees can be pretty, pretty big. So those are some things you should know generally about royalties. Um, and also the way labels account to you is semi-annual. Most labels do semi-annual accountings. Uh, I haven't really seen labels, maybe a couple indies that do quarterly accountings, but mostly semi-annual. That means twice a year, you will get your royalty statement and royalty payment. All right. You get paid twice a year. So make sure that, uh, when you get that royalty check, it's good. It's got to last you for a little bit. Okay. 
Now, moving on in conjunction with royalties and why nobody pays attention to royalties is because you get in advance when you do a record deal. And that's what artists always focus on, if not the only thing artists focus on. No shade to artists. I love you guys. But stop just looking at the advance amount. That's why I talk about all these other provisions, because you got to know what kind of deal you're signing. Stop just focusing on this big lump check. But... If you are going to focus on this advance check, let me at least tell you what it's going to and what it really means for you. And oftentimes that amount that you're seeing isn't always uh, what it what your advance is. So when you get an advance, what is really that for? Generally, it's for your recording fund. That's what that big front end check looks like. Now in agreements, it can be split up in many different ways. Sometimes you can get the full amount up front. Sometimes they'll give you a portion of the advance up front and a portion when you've delivered all your recordings. Um, After the recording process, they basically have this fund that says, hey, this amount is going to go to your recordings and um, this is what you're free to use for it. And we're going to give you a big chunk up front, but that has to go to funding the album. So definitely make sure that uh, you're budgeting that correctly. And it's not just, hey, go and splurge. You know, like a lot of people get in trouble that way because they get a big check and uh, they they want to buy a lot of cool things. But just know that that has to support a lot of things. And you as the artist, it gets a little bit dicey. But that first check is really the recording fund check. Now, out of that also, you're, when they give you that advance, uh, they're usually going to pay your lawyer your law, their lawyer fees. Oftentimes, it's a percentage. Sometimes it's not. It can be uh, just a negotiated fee. Maybe it's an hourly thing. But more than not, lawyers get 5% of the deal. That's a very standard fee for lawyers. Boom. Also, and that's going to come directly in the agreement. There's usually the label will pay you your amount and then they will actually pay the lawyer directly. So it's very rare that you actually pay your lawyer. So um, that's always written in. The lawyers definitely make sure to write that in there. I don't blame them. Now, um, also just to know some other players where this advance money is going to, obviously you're going to have to pay your manager. So your manager is going to get 15 to 20% for their management fee. Also, by this time, you'll likely have a business manager. Um, Business managers, they are like the accountant for your team. They handle all your bills, your taxes, all that fun financial stuff. They usually get 5% of all your income. So when this advance comes in, they're going to take 5%. So 5% for the lawyer, 5% for the business manager, and uh, 15 to 20% for your actual manager. So you've carved off um, a good little amount there off the top. So just uh, just showing you kind of how quickly this money starts to deduct. Now, when uh, they have advances, you have that recording fund. And they usually also, um, that's for usually for the initial contract period. Now, if they do options with you and if they extend those options, they're going to also give you advances for each option. Think of it kind of like a renewal. Like, oh, we're up again. Here's another advance. Now, built into that, is usually what's called a mini max. Um, they're basically called like mini max advances. So uh, they're going to have like, okay, when option one comes up, we're going to give you a minimum of this and a maximum of this. So let's say when you sign a deal, let's say you get $200,000 for your advance, right? That's your initial, your initial one. When the option, first option comes up, 
they're going to, in the contract, they're going to say, all right, when your first option comes up, we're going to give you either $200,000, that's the minimum amount, and the maximum amount we're going to give you is $400,000. And that really is based on kind of like your success as an artist. Um, But it's good that they will actually give you that minimum. So say maybe the first album flops for whatever reason, uh, but they do want to still get the option going because they, they still want to invest in you and support you and believe in you. The minimum, the minimum amount you'll get is that 200,000. Um, then when maybe an option two comes up, it'll say for option two, we'll also give you 200,000 as a minimum, but we're going to extend the maximum to 500,000. And then option three comes up and they'll say another minimum, minimum of 200 and a maximum of 550. So they'll kind of keep increasing that maximum amount every year based on your success. Um, thinking about this, I always try to push the maximums when I'm you know, talking to artists and giving them general advice. Uh, push those maximums later in the contract periods because like we're all expecting you to do is continue to blow up, continue to be a substantial artist and make sure that you can negotiate that deal and extend that maximum because you want to push for as much money later down the road um, as you get more successful. So, and, and labels will, will do that. Um, You know, they'll usually be open to extending that a little bit more. So just something you should know about how kind of advances work that every option period, you will get a new advance. Now, other, um, Sorry, just looking at my notes here. I'm also having trouble saying the word minimum. It's kind of a weird word when you're uh, talking quickly here and trying to get through this. So um, now what they're also going to give advances for is things like tour support. And tour support usually is 100% recoupable, meaning that uh, you got to pay all that back. Sometimes it can be less. It could be 75% or 50%. Um, usually it's, it's, they all, they want to recoup back that touring. They'll also give you advances for marketing and publicity. Uh, a lot of times that can be 50% recoupable. Um, they'll do it for promotions. You'll get advances for promotions and, uh, are, they'll even give you ad- advances for, um, like artist development. Those actually are costs and, but they're costs that need to be recouped. And artist development can be anything from like getting stylists or coaching or, you know, rehearsal or even wardrobe or anything that you want to do um, that they're paying for, they're going to want to get paid back for that. And also they'll give you advances for videos. Now, all of these advances that are separate from that main recording fund, it's very often that the label controls that and they basically basically will be paying for that and they'll kind of account to it in separate accounts. However, you usually have to um, basically pay them back, pay all of those accounts back from your royalties. Uh, They're not what is called cross-collateralized. If you ever hear that term, that means that they're really in separate accounts and recouping at their own pace with their individual royalties. You especially kind of see this with videos where, um, you know, if they give you like $25,000 for a video um, the video will account, the video basically advance will be paid back only through video royalties and not through master recording royalties. So you always want to know if your different advances like for videos are going to be cross collateralized or not. Meaning do you have to pay back those advances with the money from your sound recording? Um, just something to, to always think about. 
when you're getting advances. Now, the tricky part with all this when we think about advances is let's go back to that $200,000 example. You sign a deal, you get $200,000. But then they uh, give you, you know, a video budget of $25,000. They give you a marketing budget of $100,000. That goes into, uh, and maybe they give you a a touring budget that is $50,000. Well, all that money you have to pay back as well. And you only got the 200 up front. So they gave you a $200,000 check, but they paid your, you know, part of that had to go to your lawyer, your manager, your business manager. And then on top of that, you have to pay back all these other expenses that they're helping you fund and giving money to. So you may only get that $200,000 up front, but you may be unrecouped Four hundred or four hundred fifty thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars because of the marketing, because of the videos, because of the touring, because of the costs, the studio time, anything else that the label has paid for is going to go right up against your recoupment and what you as an artist have to pay back. This is what artists don't always realize, and I'll walk you through it again just really quickly. So let's start with that two hundred k. Okay, remember. goes to your lawyer, so that's going to be $10,000. Another 5% goes to your business manager, another $10,000. Then 15% is going to go to your manager, that's $30,000. So already, off the $200K, $50,000 is taken off, $150,000 goes to you. Boom, put that in your bank account. But remember, that's also you know, you have to fund recording. There's some, some other things that you got to fund that comes out of that 150 K. Now, other things to think about. Now they do $25,000 goes to the video. $100,000 goes to marketing. $50,000 goes to touring. And then $25,000 extra goes to some expenses, whether it's extra studio time, demo costs, um, wardrobe, whatever, rehearsals, any anything else, maybe another $25,000. So that's an extra $200,000 worth of video marketing tour and other expenses right there. So you got $150,000, but you have to pay back $400,000. See how that added up really quickly? And that's without tax taken out. So uh, you always got to make sure of that too. You know, you're going to get hit with some taxes on the advance amount that you get paid. So when you break it all down, you get paid this advance, but you're on the hook for a lot more than just that advance that you got paid for that goes into your bank account. And the thing is, your term and all these things that I've talked about, that they only can expire or end if you are recouped. So if you have a if you're in a deal and say that deal is based on, you know, 12 months after the date of the commercial release, well, if that 12 months goes up after the release is done, you can't get out of your deal. You cannot terminate that deal if you are unrecouped. If you have not made back the money, that they've put out for your album and that they've given you and that they've advanced you, you are stuck in your deal. And so many artists get stuck in their deal forever. And it's not necessarily such a terrible thing all the time 
because sometimes you're just getting advance after advance after advance, and maybe all the advance payments that they've given you have been able to fund your life. But there's also a lot of artists that are currently unrecouped that didn't pan out in their record deals. They weren't such a huge success. They weren't able to pay back their royalties, and they're stuck in their record deal because they're unrecouped. And um, yeah, it's just a, it could be a really tough situation there uh, as the money can dwindle really fast. You can run out of money. This is a very, very common thing that happens to a lot of artists. You get that advance, but you realize you have to pay back a lot more and um, what you're getting isn't always the, as much as you think it is. So that's what you have to be super, super careful about and really understand how these advances are breaking down, what you need to pay back, and is it really enough money? Is it really worth it? Sometimes it's not. Sometimes that you know uh, advance just isn't enough, and uh, you may need more money for this to really kick off, for you to be able to fund your life, fund the album, and all the things that you're doing. So that's the conversations you need to have with your team, your business manager, your manager. I mean, really, really think about is this enough money? And I know it's so hard to walk away from a big check. I totally understand that. But you have to start breaking it down to really make sense. Is this actually a big check? Do the math, run it through. And at the end of the day, you have to pay everything back. Not your manager, not your lawyer, not your business manager, nobody else. You are on the hook for paying back that advance. So know exactly what you're paying back before you do these deals. I can't stress that more, all right? Now again, I know I make it sound a little scary there and uh, you know I don't wanna make these deals sound bad. Record deals can be great, they really can. But just make sure you're doing the deal that's right for you. Make sure it's enough money. Make sure you're not giving up you know, all the rights that you want to. And because you're giving up the master and, and they're taking ownership of it, make them pay for it. Get a better artist rate. Put some restrictions in there. You know, negotiate the term. Limit the term. Limit the number of options. If the label offers you five options, say, I want to only do three because what if just things don't go right? Control it a little more and try to limit the areas and protect yourself as much as possible in these deals. Look, I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt. I want you to have the best lawyer and the best team in the game. But at the end of the day, you're only going to be stronger if you understand this stuff too. Educate yourself. Make sure you understand these five crucial areas. The term, the recording commitment, the rights, the royalties, and the advance. Okay? Those are the areas that you want to focus on the most right now when you're getting accustomed and used to looking at these agreements. Okay? Hopefully this was helpful. I know this is probably one of the longer, maybe the longest podcast I've done so far, but um, I really wanted to cover this stuff. And uh, look, like I said, way early on, there's so many variables to this. This is really based on a general sense of the traditional record deal, but really wanted to highlight those terms and talk about them a little bit here. So if you have any questions, look, listen to this episode twice, let it sink in, let it digest. It's, it's a lot of information that I threw at you. So, But I know you can handle it because you've been diving in week by week, wrapping your brain around this stuff, and you want to succeed. You want to be educated. I believe in you guys so much. Keep listening. You got this. And if you have any questions, always feel free to reach out to me, DM me, email me. I'm happy to, to chat and sit down, answer any of your questions along the way. 
And as always, thank you guys for listening and making this podcast so great for me to do every week. All right. I will talk to you guys later and I'll see you on the next episode.